home at its best is the place where you feel like you can be you. Home is the place where you belong, where you are comfortable, where you can be transparent, where you can relax, where you feel free to laugh and to cry, to celebrate, to mourn. Now, there are a lot of things that come up, come into what makes home a home for us. Maybe for you, it's the people in your home. Maybe it's, maybe it's kids or, or, or grandkids. It's the people who come and celebrate with you. Or there are certain people that, that just feel like they're at home when they're in your presence. Or maybe it's the freedom they have when they're at your house to go into, into your refrigerator. The freedom to take off their shoes and to sit and relax, to just be. Maybe for you, part of what makes home home is the way your home feels at certain times of the year. It's the way your home feels at the holidays. It's the slightly overgrown, too big for your house, fresh cut Christmas tree. It's being cozy on the couch listening to Christmas music, having a fire in the fireplace. Maybe for some of you, home is actually a place you go to at the holidays. Like maybe it's not your own house, but it's, it's, it's the memories and the traditions. And you think of maybe home is where you travel to. Maybe some of you actually miss home this Christmas because you were at your house, but you didn't get to go home for the holidays. It's why there, be, why there are songs even like, I'll be home for Christmas. Because there's something about the places where we feel like we can belong Something about the places where we feel like we can be transparent and honest with the people who are in our life. The places where we can feel free to just be ourselves. Home is where life happens. And home is what Jesus wants to create in our lives and our relationship with him. Jesus wants to make home with us. To build a life of friendship, of presence, of being Together. And so today we're going to go into the book of John chapter 15. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15, we're going to look at this teaching of Jesus as he talks about being a vine and the branches and making a home and connecting all these things together into how we understand friendship and life with Jesus. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll pause at a number of places just along the way, and we'll talk about what this means for the kind of life we build as we follow Jesus. I'll begin in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Other translations use that phrase and say, abide in me, which we'll get to a bit later. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide or remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so Jesus here connects being with Jesus and being connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus or remaining in Jesus. And he says, by doing so, you will actually see fruit. It will have a result. It will change the kind of person you become. You'll become more and more like Jesus by being connected to Jesus. Jesus says, actually, that will show yourselves to be my disciples. He continues, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, again that word abide, in my love. 
If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus here is making a connection that just as he abides in his Father, as he remains in his Father, as he spends time with the Father, so also when we remain in Jesus, we stay connected to the Father who is the author and giver of life. Verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's a mutual bringing of joy here in verse 11. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And so Jesus here encourages us to stay connected, to remain in him. He says there's no better picture of our friendship with Jesus than the picture of of someone who lays down his life for his friends. And he says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. That friendship is how Jesus describes our relationship with him, which can be really challenging when we're thinking about the God of the universe. That the God, God who created all of this, God who has authority and power, God who we, we want to step back in reverence and awe of his holiness, he says, you're not my servant, you are friends. Right? Friendship is the, creates this picture of just being at home, of not, not getting all dressed up, but being comfortable, of being on the couch, of taking off your shoes, of just talking about whatever comes up. And Jesus describes our relationship with him as friendship. I want to circle back to verse 4 when it said, remain in me. And this is where um, it's in the ESV it uses this word abide. It says, abide in me and I in you. That word abide is the Greek word that means to make home. And so it means make home in me, and I will make my home in you. This is what Jesus is saying about his friendship with us. That He says, I want you to make a home, make a life with me. I want you to orient your life and your rhythms of life and your practices of life, your time around friendship with me, and I will do the same in you. That in your heart, I will build my home. Abide means to make home. So John is recording what Jesus is saying when Jesus says, make your home in Jesus, and Jesus will make his home in us. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. And so we might call it abiding, we might call it remaining in Jesus, or being connected to Jesus, or simply being with Jesus. Central to our life of following Jesus means we orient our life and our rhythms and our relationships and our schedules around being with Jesus. Jesus wants to build our life around friendship with him, to build our life and our rhythms and our practices around being friends. And now Jesus describes here in John 15, he says, this will have a result, that that it will produce fruit, that by this people will know you are my, my, my disciples. And so there's this connection that we find here to actually being with Jesus and being friends with Jesus and hanging out with Jesus that then also impacts what people see and what you can see. 
Now, being with Jesus can look a lot of different ways. The way that you spend time in the presence of Jesus might look different than what um, I do to spend time in the presence of Jesus. There's lots of variations. In fact, we can read all throughout the scriptures, and the best way to learn actually how to be with Jesus is to watch and and read what Jesus did. And so we can actually copy and imitate. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Jesus often taught the Word, and so we can be in the Word. Um, At times we see Jesus fasting. At times you see silence and solitude. At times you see building of community, all of these different things that that we can imitate as we learn to be connected to Jesus. We can do the same kind of things that Jesus did. Now, the challenge is that we often can read these things, and some of them come naturally, and some of them are very difficult for us. Some of them like, all right, this is like breathing. This is just what I do. And then other ones seem a little bit more like, well, even in the in Christianity world, we'll use the word like discipline, right? Some of them feel like they require a little bit, bit of discipline. It requires a little bit of work. I would suggest that when it comes to you being with Jesus, you have a little bit of both. That you should find some things that come naturally to you, that are the way that God has wired you up as a human being, that are natural to you, that are easy for you, and you should lean into those. You should find some of those things, and you should find some of the things that take a little bit of work, that are a little bit hard for you, but you also realize are good for you. You should find both of those. And so some of you, maybe you're extroverted, and so you can connect with Jesus really, really well in a room full of people singing songs. Maybe you're extroverted and emotional, and so you like to sing songs and be around people and talk about your relationship with Jesus and and experience Jesus in that kind of moment. You should lean into those kind of moments, but maybe if you're wired that way, then being alone with Jesus is really, really hard for you. Like maybe then being still and silent and listening to Jesus doesn't come as naturally. I would suggest both of those then are very important for you. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe for you, like maybe you don't need any help having alone time and being away from other people. Like maybe, like just give you, like maybe all that you need is a good book and a fire and nobody bothering you and you're like, you're good. Um, So maybe for you, you should do that with Jesus but then maybe you also need something that would challenge you and step out of your comfort zone, which would be maybe being in community and talking with other people about your relationship with Jesus. And see, being with Jesus has a variety of ways that it looks like to actually connect with Jesus. And so some of those will come naturally. Some of those will not come naturally. Now, now I get it. This is not easy. And so um, I don't want to pretend like this is just something like, oh, do this, and now it's suddenly easy for you. you. You just start doing it, and suddenly you experience this profound level of joy and peace and patience, like all these things. It takes work. Like, I, I'm, I'm not living in a different world than you are. Most mornings, if I'm trying to be intentional and think, all right, I'm going to abide in Jesus and just be with Jesus, which I know is churchy, weird language, but that's what Jesus uses, so we're just going to use it anyways. Uh, and so, like, if I wake up in the morning, I think, you know, I just want to be with Jesus. Most mornings, that doesn't go very well. Like, I, I wake up, the alarm goes off, and the immediate pull is to grab my phone and then what do I do? I don't grab my phone and like, oh, let's put that away and spend time with Jesus. No, the, the temptation then is, all right, well, let's check Instagram and let's check email and let's check the news and like do all these things. And eventually, like I'll get to Jesus in my day. But it's this inner battle. Even, there, are, there are mornings where I think, all right, I need to spend time with Jesus first. And that yet... I don't decide to do that. And maybe I'll turn my day around. Like eventually I'll, I'll get dressed, I'll get ready, get showered up, I'll make a coffee. And I was like, you know, I'm going to sit some down and just be with Jesus just for a little bit. 
And so what I inevitably do, I set my phone down and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to be with Jesus. I'm going to listen to Jesus or I'm going to pray. And then I wait and I wait. I'm like, uh, what, what's happening? I'm, like, I'm going to check my phone just to, see, you know, just to see how long I've been spending with Jesus. Like, I just want to make sure, like, I hit the right quota of time with Jesus. And, like, it's got to be about 10 minutes by now. And I check my phone. It's only two minutes have passed. And, and there's a notification from something. And so, well, i got to check that and just take care of it. And then immediately, what do you do, right? You, you have meetings and you have emails and you have things to do. And then one of the kids comes down the stairs and jumps on you. And you're yelling at your kids because you're trying to spend time with Jesus. And so just go do something else. I don't know what your time with Jesus looks like, but that's normal in a day in my life of trying to figure out how do I spend time with Jesus. Right? It's not easy. It's not simple. Abiding isn't easy. In fact, friendship isn't easy. It takes work. It takes an effort to talk to the people you care about, to make time for the relationships that are important for you, to figure out what kind of things you enjoy doing. The same thing is true about our relationship with Jesus, about our friendship with Jesus. Now, the challenge, I think, in our hurried, always connected, always online, fast-paced culture, it is really, really hard for us to just be with Jesus. Not to try to get something from Jesus, not to like use Jesus as our magic eight ball to get an answer, but to just be with Jesus, just to see whatever Jesus wants to do in that moment, to see what scriptures he brings to mind, to see, to ask him questions, to intercede for other people, to just be with Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about our world and about our lives is I would suggest there's this business axiom that I think is true in our world is that your life or our culture's collective life is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting. And so if you think about your life, if your life is perfectly designed to get the results you're currently getting, does something need to change? I would suggest that in our culture, that if our culture's life is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting, that's why we have a problem with anxiety and fear and shame and guilt that underlies the surface under everything. Because there's something about the way we have designed and built our lives that is not producing the kind of fruit that Jesus wants it to produce. And so what if, as we look at 2020, and, and as we are so glad to say peace out to 2020 and move into 2021, what if we made a goal for ourselves? What if we made our goal to just be with Jesus? Not, not what could we get from Jesus, or not what do we need Jesus to do for us, but just be with Jesus. That's what Jesus is after here when he uses that phrase, remaining in Jesus, or abiding in Jesus. Now, surrounding that word is this incredible picture, this gardening picture of growth and pruning and life. And so that's, it's incredibly challenging. And there's a sense, even when you read this, that there's a sense like it feels like work. Like, all right, I got to do something. I have to be connected to Jesus. I have to abide in Jesus, be present in Jesus. I think the more helpful way when we talk about the work of abiding is it's actually about going to the places where God promises to do the work. It's about going to Jesus because Jesus is going to do a work. He's going to work on us as we stay connected to him. And so calling it work is hardly accurate, although it requires effort and intention. And so in this passage, it tells us to be connected to the vine. The vine is the source of life. So by your own efforts, you, don't, you can't give yourself ultimately what you need to live. And so the command of Jesus is to stay connected to Jesus. This is why things like prayer 
and reading your Bible and gathering with other believers in worship. Well, it's why all these things are so important. Not because doing those things is the goal. It's by doing those things are things that Jesus modeled for us actually help us stay connected to him. It's in those things that Jesus promises to be at work in us. It's not doing them somehow checks off the religious things off your list. It's no doing, it's those things actually do something to you. And so ultimately, it's not about what you do in those things. It's about who those things connect you to. It's about Jesus. And so then the rest of this passage, as it talks about the vine and the branches and pruning, it shows us God's incredible work that God is producing and God is pruning. Now, both of these are different works that are very important. The first God is producing is, is very clear and obvious that God is the one doing something, that being in a friendship with Jesus produces fruit. Like, it will make a difference in your life. Now, I, I think we should also be clear, when we talk about being in a friendship with Jesus producing fruit, it, that, that phrase can be a little bit challenging, because what it can lead to is saying, all right, well, let's check the fruit. Like, let's pay attention to the fruit, and are we actually in a healthy friendship with Jesus? That's an important thing to do. We just have to be careful as we do it, because what will happen is some of you, it's really, really easy for you to check your own fruit, and so you'll look at it and be like, you know what? I'm not very loving. I'm not very patient. I'm not very kind. Some of us, though, are a little bit prideful, and we don't really like to be honest about the kind of fruit we're actually producing, and so it gets dangerous to do that on our own. You need to be in community with the kind of people who will call you out on your bad fruit. That will say, hey, there are some things that you need to look inward on and say, all right, are you producing the kind of fruit that Jesus wants you to? Now, some of you do that naturally and very easily. And so you can see the fruit and say, all right, I'm not becoming the kind of person that Jesus wants me to become. The other reason fruit checking can be really challenging, though, is sometimes we are looking for fruit and we don't see it, not because we're not healthy, but because we're in the winter, right? There are seasons, in fact, the scriptures will even describe seasons of grief as being seasons like the winter where you don't see the fruit, but the fruit, actually the joy is coming. And so maybe some of you will actually check for fruit and you say, I I'm not experiencing the kind of joy that I think I should be experiencing. And maybe if you're in an unhealthy place, you might say, I'm not experiencing that joy. So maybe I'm just not really good with Jesus right now. Or maybe he doesn't love me or maybe he's not looking at me as kindly as I feel like God should look at me. When in reality, you're just in the winter. Like you are actually connected with Jesus and Jesus is growing and producing something that you just haven't seen yet. And so again, being in community helps draw those things out for you to be able to say, all right, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm experiencing. Like, is this accurate, a reflection of my relationship with Jesus? And so Jesus is producing and growing and shaping this fruit. And that growth isn't happening because we are really, really good at working hard to produce the fruit. Like, have you ever seen a stressed out apple tree? Like it's, it's not a thing, right? You don't have apple trees that are just there and like, oh, all right, oh, gala apples, like, come on. Like, that's not what happens. A, a healthy tree produces healthy gala apples because that's what it was created to do. Like, the, the tree produces the kind of fruit that it is wired up and naturally created to do, and it's a healthy tree, so it's connected to the trunk, which is connected to the soil, and it produces good fruit. It has nothing to do with what the branches are doing. And so it is with our relationship with God, right? 
the fruit we produce, has little with our own stress and anxiety of being the kind of people who can produce good fruit, and has everything to do with being connected to the power of the resurrected Savior, the one who is the source and the giver of life. And so Jesus describes it in verse 4 when he says, now remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. In other words, the way that the fruit comes is by staying connected to Jesus, by being with Jesus. And neither can you bear fruit unless you stay connected to Jesus, unless you are with Jesus. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus is saying here. But the fruit doesn't come in trying really hard to be a better Christian. The fruit, the fruit comes from being in a friendship with Jesus. Fruit comes from being connected to Jesus, not from trying harder. And so we don't make the fruit grow. We go to the places where we're connected to Jesus. We go to the places where we can be with Jesus. Now, in verse 2, it describes this idea of pruning. Now, this, this is the idea that's a little bit more painful for us, a little bit more difficult for us to talk, to, talk about. In verse 2, he says this, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, there are two things in this, in this verse that I think are challenging. One is the idea that branches get cut off, that, that, that bear no fruit. And the other is the idea of pruning. Both of those are challenging for different reasons. And so the idea with the branches that get cut off is that there are some branches that appear to be a part of the tree, but they're just not healthy. That there, there is actually no life in this. This would be, like, this would be what we see when Jesus interacts with the re religious Pharisees. Like, by all appearances, they have a relationship with God. Like, they are going through the motions, they're doing the religious things, they're checking all the boxes, but their heart isn't transformed by Jesus. There's no faith, there's no trust, there's no hope. And so Jesus is saying, like, going through the religious motions, although it makes you appear to be connected to the source of life, if there is not actually life that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus in you, like, he's not going to force you to stay connected to the tree. Like, the idea that this could translate to in our own life is if we make the practices of following Jesus the goal. Like, if we make the goal going to church, reading the Bible, praying, those appear to make us connected to Jesus. But if those are the end, we're just branches without life. The goal is being with Jesus. Those are just the way we get to Jesus. And so Jesus says, well, I, I want you to be healthy. I want you to have life in you. And then he says, and he prunes the healthy branches. Now, this, this is the thing that, like, if you're a gardener, you understand this. But if you're like me, like, you would read right over this. So you'd have no, no understanding of how this works. But pruning is a messy and painful process that produces better fruit. See, if you were to actually show up at a vineyard and you were to see this whole thing in the process, if you, if you were to look... What you would see is you would see something that doesn't look all that pretty. Instead, that you would see branches being cut, you would see branches on the ground, and you would see healthy plants being trimmed back and cut back, so much so that if you're not a gardener, you would look on and be like, why, why are you ruining like, a, a good vineyard? Why are you ruining a good plant? 
But, but, but what Jesus understands in the picture that Jesus is painting is that sometimes there are actually healthy things that should be trimmed in order to become more healthy. That it's in the pruning and cutting back and trimming back that sometimes a removal of some of these good things actually leads to a more abundant harvest. Sometimes there are seasons of pruning that are incredibly challenging, incredibly messy, that God uses to produce healthier, more vibrant fruit. Some theologians call seasons like this the dark night of the soul, that maybe for you it's a season where God is pruning because it feels like God's absent. Right, these seasons where you feel like you're doing all the things that you should be doing to connect to God, and you're not hearing from Him, you're not experiencing His presence, you don't feel like He's there, you feel like He's gone quiet. Theologian after theologian after theologian would suggest that that's not actually an indicator of God's absence, but that He's present, and that God's actually doing a work in you, even in those moments He feels distant. For some of us, the pruning doesn't feel like God's absence, like you are all too aware of God's presence in those moments, like you feel like he's calling things out and pointing them out and working on you. And maybe for, for you, 2020 has been that kind of year where God's revealed some stuff to you, that he's revealed some stuff to you about your relationships, about your friendships, about your family. I know in my own life, 2020 has caused me to ask hard and difficult questions about how I'm spending my time with Jesus. I absolutely believe that God would use something like a pandemic to do some pruning. Now, I, I don't believe God would cause a pandemic for the pruning, but I absolutely believe that God will use a pandemic for his good to prune us individually and prune us corporately as a church so we will care about the things that matter to most. And so for me, it's caused me to ask questions like, how much news do I take in on a given day? How much do I need to check? How many hours do I spend on social media? What kind of coping mechanisms do I turn to in order to deal with stress or anxiety? What relationships do I prioritize or fail to prioritize? These are important and healthy questions. They are pruning questions as we follow Jesus. And so I think these kind of questions can be summed up really in two main questions. They can be summed up in the questions, what needs to be removed to stay in the presence of Jesus? And what practices can we add to be in the presence of Jesus. Both of these are questions that we should wrestle with as we, as we ask ourselves, how do we stay connected to Jesus? How do we abide? How do we remain in Jesus? That there are probably some things that if we are being pruned, some things that God might call us out and say, all right, how about we, how about we remove that? How about we limit that? How about we deal with those habits, those behaviors? Why? In order to be more connected, to be more in the presence of Jesus. And he might also show you some things that you should add. What should you add to be in the presence of Jesus? Maybe, it's, maybe it has something to do with your prayer. Maybe it has something to do with the way you read the scriptures. What, what can you add into your life to help you be in the presence of Jesus? There are a couple quotes that I want to end with that will help us shape and um, help us give a picture for what this looks like. Because when we talk about abiding, I think the natural inclination for us is to think about all right, that time in the day where we, where we are intentional about reading or praying or just being still. And that's certainly a part of it. But the end goal is actually not the quiet time. It's ultimately a life that is experienced in the presence of Jesus. That it's not just those moments, which are important moments, but all of life experiencing the presence of Jesus in the chaos and the noise in our family. And so there's a, a, an incredible quote by a 15th century monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. 
And he, he called this practice of abiding or being with Jesus, he called it practicing the presence of Jesus. And I love the phrase he uses. And the reason I love that phrase, practicing the presence of Jesus, is because of that word practice. Like, it, it takes work. You don't, you're not, it's not like you're an expert at being in the presence of Jesus. You practice it. You try again and again and again. And so he's a 15th century monk, which might freak some of you out. I'm not asking any of us to, to be monastic or anything like that. But he, he was a monk and actually not a priest. He, in the monastery, he was the dishwasher. All right, so like he's like the most down-to-earth kind of monk you could get. Like if there's a down-to-earth monk, like he's it. And so he wrote this. He would write these letters to people as they learned to practice the presence of Jesus about his own experience. And so here's what he said about it. He said, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer and in the noise and clatter of the kitchen. While several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. All right, and keep in mind, 15th century, he's a monk, Roman Catholic, and so right, being on his knees receiving the sacrament is like the pinnacle of holy of holy moments. And so he is saying that when he is in the kitchen and the dishes are clanging and soap is everywhere and people are shouting, he's saying in that moment as his hands are in the water, it is just as holy and just as sacred as when the body and blood of his Savior get put in his hands. He says there's something about that moment that he said he experienced the presence of Jesus just as much in that moment. And so for him, what he learned is that practicing the presence of Jesus meant building a life and a friendship around habits and discipline so that in all of life, when your kids are jumping on you, when you are spending quiet time, when you're in the car stuck in traffic, when you're in community, when you're by yourself, that in all of those moments you can experience the presence of Jesus in a profound way. Another author by the name of Ruth Haley Barton, she describes, she actually wrote this incredible book about silence and solitude. And for, for me, like if you write a book on silence and solitude, that automatically makes you the expert on silence and solitude. And so she wrote this book, and I found this quote incredibly encouraging because what she described put into words my own experience. In other words, that it's hard. Like that it's not easy to do this, to just practice being still and being with Jesus. And, so, and she described it this way and said it, said, for the first year or so, it seemed like all I did was struggle to make it to the 10-minute mark. All while noticing the noisiness inside my own head, the pull of distractions, the resistance I felt to this new and challenging practice. Somehow, during those moments, the to-do list began to compile themselves effortlessly in my head. The spirit of cynicism whispered, how pointless is this? We're not getting anything done here. As you build a life and a friendship with Jesus, I want you to shoot for that question. To have that question in your head, like, is this really working? Am, like, am I actually getting anything done here? Because I believe that in those moments, as you begin to practice the presence of Jesus, in those moments when you begin to feel like, all right, is God doing anything here? Like, is this actually worth it? that Jesus will be teaching you to just be friends, to hang out. And that in those moments of wrestling with it, of figuring it out, what it will begin to do is teach you to experience the presence of Jesus in all of life. That even in the moments where you're not looking for it, you will begin to find 
Jesus in sacred moments that to everyone else don't look so sacred. And so may you make a home with Jesus. May you build a life around friendship with Jesus. May you learn to just be with Jesus, to be friends with Jesus. And in those moments, may Jesus speak to you. May he encourage you and remind you that he is for you. Let me close in prayer for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love, for your friendship, for the promises that you have for us. We thank you that we can call you friends, that you call us friend. We pray that you would teach us to learn how to abide, to just be connected, to remain in your presence in the midst of the distraction, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the busyness of life, that we would learn to just be still and be with you. Teach us to be and to know that you, you call us friend. In your name we pray. Amen.